In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. St. Pius X. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. <clears throat> Okay, so last month, Bishop Sante spoke to you about four things in particular. Um, he talked about the change to the Friday abstinence in 1966, the 1967 changes of Paul VI, which were given in the instruction Tres Abhink Anos, which instruction was issued by the Sacred Congregation of Rites. The bishop then went through uh, the new Mass, the Novus Ordo Mise, and then he addressed as well the giving of communion in the hand, and the giving of communion under both the species of the sacred host and the precious blood. And he left off, I believe, with the subject of Eucharistic ministers. And so this evening, <clears throat> I'd like to briefly touch on the topic of Eucharistic ministers, and then make a few comments on the concluding rites of the Novus Ordo Mass. And then we'll get into the main focus, which is the Protestant participation in constructing the new Mass, and then the final push to prevent the modernists from implementing the Novus Ordo Mise. Eucharistic ministers are lay people who, according to the 1983 Code of Canon Law, are empowered by the bishop of the diocese or the pastor of the local parish to administer communion in certain circumstances. Officially, they are referred to as extraordinary ministers. The word extraordinary, of course, means something out of the ordinary. And something that is extraordinary is something that usually doesn't happen very often. But as many of, of you know, the use of these so-called extraordinary ministers of the Holy Eucharist is not something that is rarely seen at the New Mass. Rather, it is a regular, common, every Sunday or every Saturday evening occurrence. It's kind of like receiving communion in the hand. The very idea of a layman administering communion, as they do in the new church, is irreverent, reckless, and another reason for a loss of faith in the real presence of Christ. For by such a practice, the Holy Eucharist becomes common and ordinary. There's nothing special about it anymore. And then, consequently, respect and reverence for the Holy Eucharist are lost. About two, two or three years ago, I met with a lady in Round Top. She was thinking about attending Mass at the convent because she loved the traditional rite. Well, in the midst of our conversation, it turns out that she was a Eucharistic minister. Her particular duty was to do the communion calls by bringing Holy Communion to the sick and even administering what they call Holy Viaticum, even in the New Church they refer to it as that. If she was unable to visit someone, she told me, she would take the Blessed Sacrament home and she would store it in a desk with a candle on top. That's how she reserved the Blessed Sacrament. Now, such a thing really isn't surprising anymore, so I just listened patiently. And after hearing her out and explain how she does what she does in bringing Holy Communion to different people, I asked her a few questions just to make sure that I was understanding her correctly. 
after I found out that I did understand her correctly, I put this question to her in a very kind way. Do you see anything wrong with that? She did not. And honestly, it is hard to blame her. She doesn't know. She doesn't know any better. This is what she's taught to do. This is what she's told to do. But how irreverent. Not only for a lay woman to carry the Blessed Sacrament about, but to reserve it in a desk. But this is among the fruits of Vatican II and the New Mass. A sacrilegious irreverence for the Holy Eucharist and a common treating of it. Which in the end will result in a loss of faith in the real presence. It's another picture of a Eucharistic minister handing out the Blessed Sacrament. Last month, as I mentioned, Bishop Sante spoke about the new Mass. He briefly went through the introductory rites, the liturgy of the Word, and the liturgy of the Eucharist. The fourth and final part of the new Mass are the concluding rites. There's really not a whole lot to say about them, uh, but very simply, they are many and various. There's all sorts of concluding rites. Uh, one author writes that modernists prefer variety to unity, and the Novus Ordo Mass offers almost unlimited variety. Continuing, he says, not counting any improvisations or the potential variety in the quote-unquote bidding prayers or the interjection of texts from other sacraments, the most conservative, the most conservative estimate of the potential variety for the Novus Ordo Mass, according to this author, is 1,769,472 different forms. It's a big number. Can you imagine the faithful attending these different, a Mass each Sunday and it changes every Sunday? Or even if you have the faithful who go to, let's say, a first Mass and a second Mass on a Sunday, offered by the same priest, he may use two different forms of Mass. This author continues, if you allow improvisation and any other extemporaneous prayers, any prayers that the minister may choose to add, in his own words even, the variety, he says, extends to many more millions. Such variety necessarily diminishes and undermines the unity of worship. And when you look closely at the worship of the new church, there is virtually no unity. It's practically non-existent. <clears throat> but with regard to the concluding rites of the new mass, depending on which version you get, the typical ending of the new mass will consist of any special announcements that the minister may see fit to make, a short prayer, a blessing of the people, and then a procession out of the sanctuary, which, by the way, is typically made with hands just kind of hanging casually at the side, looking around, maybe waving to some people. Or even in this picture here, you have the two in the middle talking to each other on the way out. There is The reverence is, is gone. That is the conclusion of the brief look at the new Mass that Bishop Sante began, and we just concluded here. 
brief because with the endless variety, it's very difficult to pinpoint what exactly the solvent may do at any given mass. <clears throat> Father Anabale Bunini, as I'm sure Bishop Sante has mentioned, he was the chief architect of the new mass. But as many of you, as many of you may know, the new mass was designed by Bunini with the assistance of Protestant advisors, Protestant theologians, Protestant ministers. Now, some will tell you that the Protestants were mere passive spectators. They were just kind of standing by, nodding their heads in agreement, playing no part in drawing up the new mass. You will hear that these men were just there to watch and observe for the sake of unity. But the truth of the matter the Protestants were not mere observers. They were, in fact, advisors and consultants. Advisors and consultants to ensure that the Novus Ordo rites supported the modern spirit of ecumenism, false ecumenism, and that the rite of mass that was being developed would be embraced and acceptable to all different religions and faiths. On March 19, 1965, Bunini wrote, We must strip from our Catholic prayers and from the Catholic liturgy everything which can be the shadow of a stumbling block for our separated brethren. And who are the separated brethren? The Protestants. The love of souls, Bunini says, and the desire to facilitate in every way the road to union on the part of the separated brethren has induced the church to make even these painful sacrifices. So how is the road to union with non-Catholics facilitated? And what are these quote-unquote painful sacrifices that he is willing to make to appease the Protestants? Bunini tells us, by removing anything, that could be even remotely an impediment or make them, that is the non-Catholics, feel ill at ease. In other words, Bunini sought to remove anything, doctrine or practice, from the traditional rites of the church, anything and everything that Protestants and non-Catholics might disagree with or find offensive. And for this reason, Paul VI and Annabale Bunini employed six Protestant scholars to help write the Novus Ordo Missae. I mean, who knows better how to Protestantize the Mass than Protestants, right? The six Protestants were representatives of what is called the World Council of Churches. The Church of England, or the Anglicans, the Lutheran Church, and the Protestant community of Taizé. I don't think that the Lutherans and the Anglicans need any introduction. Pretty familiar with them. But what exactly is the World Council of Churches or the Protestant community of Taizé? The World Council of Churches, very simply, is a worldwide Christian interchurch, which was founded in 1948. Its members today include the Assyrian Church, the Eastern Orthodox Churches, 
the Mar Thoma Syrian Church of Malabar, the Old Catholic Church. And we'll talk about the Old Catholics in a future conference. Uh, the Anglicans, most other mainline Protestant churches, and then even some evangelical Protestants. It's basically an ecumenical church with all these other little churches kind of joined together. Then there's the Reformed Community of Taizai. It was founded in 1940 by a man named Roger Louis Schutz, who is known simply as Brother Roger. You may have heard that name before. He's a Reformed Protestant. And it is located in the small village of Taizai, which is in central France. It is a community of Protestant and so-called Catholic monks who live an ecumenical religious life. That is, they recite ecumenical prayers, bring in all the different faiths. They promote ecumenism or a union of churches throughout the world. And they do this living a religious community life. In a nutshell... It's nothing more than a Protestant sect. That's what it is. It's a picture of Brother Roger, the founder of the community. And on a side note, some of you may recall that in 2005, the funeral of John Paul II, Joseph Ratzinger gave Holy Communion to the founder of the Taizé community, Brother Roger. He was a renowned Protestant at the time. So who were the six Protestants then who helped Bunini fashion the new Mass? One, his first one is A. Raymond George, who was a Methodist. A Ronald Jaspar, who was an Anglican. A Massey or Massey Shepherd, who was Episcopalian. Friedrich Kunith, who was a Lutheran, Eugene Brand, who was also a Lutheran, and Max Thurian, who was a Calvinist and a monk at the Taizé community. Now, of these six, and I believe they're in order here, is Brother Max. This is Paul VI. Okay. But of the six, the most notable is Brother Max Thurian. I just want to say a few words about him. He was, as I mentioned, a Calvinist brother of the French Protestant Taizé community. In fact, he was the sub-prior of the community. Okay? And he's the second in charge under Brother Roger from the time it began in the 1940s. Brother Max was invited personally by Paul VI to participate in the liturgical reform of the Catholic Mass. In 1969, after the Novus Ordo Missae had been completed, he expressed his satisfaction with it by stating that the Protestants could now celebrate the Lord's Supper with the same prayers the Catholics use. Then something strange happened. In 1988, Brother Max converted to Roman Catholicism, and he was ordained a Catholic priest. Then, in a complete turn of events, he published an article in 1996 in which he stated that he was actually dissatisfied with the changes of Vatican II and the new Mass. For he explained that the Mass, quote, has lost all its mystery, unquote. 
Perhaps this is a manifestation of a change of heart. Maybe it's a true conversion before he died in 1996. We can only pray. Now, when we speak about the six Protestants who participated in constructing the new Mass, it is important to understand that Protestants hate two things about the Catholic Mass. They hate, first, the concept of transubstantiation, and they also hate the notion of sacrifice. It's a dogma of faith or a teaching divinely revealed and infallibly taught by the church that Christ becomes present in the sacrament of the altar by the transformation of the whole substance of bread into the body of Christ and of the whole substance of the wine into his blood. This is transubstantiation. The entire substance of the bread is changed into Christ's body and the entire substance of the wine is changed into his blood at the moment of consecration in the Mass. At that moment, the bread and wine are gone. Only Christ's body and blood remain under the appearances of bread and wine. Transubstantiation was explicitly taught at the Council of Trent against Martin Luther and the Protestants who rejected the belief. Martin Luther taught a doctrine he called consubstantiation or impanation. And very simply what Luther meant by consubstantiation is that the substance of the bread and wine exists conjointly or at the same time as the body and blood of Christ. The doctrine of transubstantiation, however, was not only odious to Martin Luther, where he had to design his own theological explanation of it. It is hateful to Protestants of all denominations. Hold Derek Zwingli, you may have heard his name before. He's another reformer who paved the way for Luther, who was actually a contemporary of Martin Luther for a time. He was actually the first in history to claim that the bread and wine are mere symbols of the body and blood of Christ. This is what he said. He said that when Christ uttered the words, this is my body, he was pointing to himself. It's pretty original. This is my body. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Uh, Then there are the Anglicans. The Anglicans believe that the Holy Eucharist is a mere offering of thanks and praise. Adolf Harnack, who's a liberal Protestant theologian, you may have never heard his name before, he said that Christ never intended to institute the Holy Eucharist. It wasn't his intention to do that. Instead, he explains that the Last Supper was merely a parting meal, and that the idea of Holy Communion is derived from the meetings of early Christian communities who had bread and wine at their meetings. It's kind of a vestige of that. It is very clear Protestants deny the dogma of transubstantiation, and it is one of those stumbling blocks Bunini was talking about to unity between Catholics and Protestants. The other doctrine of faith regarding the Mass, which Protestants flat out reject, is the notion of sacrifice. 
They don't just reject it, though. They utterly detest it. Martin Luther claimed that one night he had a violent dispute with Satan. He was arguing with the devil. And he said that it was after this dispute that he determined to abolish the Mass for this reason. Because it was too saturated with the notion of sacrifice. Oh, he had no problem calling it a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, kind of like the Anglicans. But an unbloody sacrifice for the remission of sin, to him, that was an abomination. Hold Eric Zwingli, he declared that Catholic altars should be reduced to heaps of stone. Now, I thought that this was a strange coincidence. Because what happened to many Catholic altars in the wake of Vatican II? It is said that after they were removed from Catholic churches and replaced by the tables, they were reduced to heaps of stone and used to make parking lot curbs. It's almost like you took a page right out of Zwingli's book, Paul VI did, that is, and said, okay, let's do this. And everyone else who followed him, let's do that. The modernist said this before, the Protestants said this, let's go ahead and do this. Right down, right down to making these curves. Then there's John Calvin. Calvin is on record as saying that the devil has deceived nearly the whole universe into believing that the Mass is a true sacrifice. He thus boldly proclaimed that the Mass is nothing more than a cursed idolatry. How the Protestants hate the holy sacrifice of the Mass. How they would do anything to get rid of it. And these are just a few of the blasphemies uttered against the Holy Mass. Just a few of them. But they give a very clear indication of the Protestant attitude towards sacrifice. They despise it. I want now to read to you one more definition of the Mass, referred to here as the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, a certain man said, is the assembly or gathering together of the people of God with a priest presiding to celebrate the memorial of the Lord. Now, since we're talking about the Protestant ideas of the Mass and the Holy Eucharist, reading this, hearing this, you would think that these were said by a Luther, a Calvin, a Zwingli, or one of their followers. The Lord's Supper is the assembly or gathering together of the people of God with a priest presiding to celebrate the memorial of the Lord. It sounds like something right out of one of Martin Luther's books, but it's not. These words, as some of you surely know, are the words of Paul VI. They are his exact words in defining the new mass and his general instruction. And oh, do they fit right in with the Protestant notion of the mass. No mention of the real presence. No mention of sacrifice. It reduces the holy sacrifice to a quote-unquote supper and the holy Eucharist to a mere memorial of the Lord.
we must strip from our Catholic prayers and from the Catholic liturgy. Anabale Bunini said, everything which can be the shadow of a stumbling block for our separated brethren. Thus sacrifice, transubstantiation, two stumbling blocks, they had to go. Or at least be watered down and made ambiguous so as not to offend Protestants. From the very first words of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, according to St. Pius V's Missale Romani, from the first words to the last, we see that the Mass is the ongoing, unbloody sacrifice of Calvary. There is nothing ambiguous about it but to appease the Protestants and to foster unity with them to accommodate their errors. The Catholic Mass had to be modified and Catholic doctrine had to be diluted or even changed. And so under the destructive pen of Annibale Bunini, together with his six Protestant advisors, the new order of Mass was made to drastically and systematically de-emphasize the sacrifice of the altar. Instead of referring to the Mass as a sacrifice for the remission of sin, the new Mass brings out the notion of Luther's idea of a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. The new Mass emphasizes the celebratory supper, which in the estimation of Paul VI and Bunini is a reasonable trade for the sake of ecumenism, a quote-unquote painful sacrifice, to use Bunini's own words. The Novus Ordo Mass even employs certain Protestant texts, and when possible, whenever they have the opportunity, they cloak Catholic doctrine in ambiguous terminology, language that can be used on both sides of the argument. In other words, in the new Mass, words are used that can be understood in a Catholic sense by Catholics, but in a Protestant sense by Protestants. I'm sure Bishop Sante has mentioned to you when he's talking about modernism, ambiguity is characteristic of modernists. They thrive on it because you can't pin them down. Look at Francis, right? He says things almost off the cuff whenever he feels like it, the most off-the-wall things. But then if he's ever called on the carpet, he asks him, well, did you look at it this way? Did you look at it that way? Right? Or he doesn't, he doesn't even answer the question. Right? I think it was the um, Amorius Laetitia when he was asked about his um, giving communion to the divorced and remarried publicly. He said, the answer is, it's in the document. Read the document. He didn't answer it. And in the document, it's ambiguous, so you don't know what he's talking about. Ambiguity is characteristic of modernists. And guess what? Ambiguity is not Catholic. Christ said, he who is not with me is against me. Right? It's in the gospel. He wasn't mincing words. There is no such thing as ambiguity with him, in his faith, in his worship, there's not. It's either Catholic or it's not Catholic. 
there's no, oh, well, this can be Catholic for one person and Protestant for another. It doesn't work that way. When Bunyini and company could not make Catholic doctrine ambiguous, they resorted to abolishing it altogether. The use of the Blessed Virgin Mary's name has been drastically reduced. The Novus Ordo Mass reduces the number of the names of saints invoked from 62 to 41. And of those 41, 32 are optional. 32 are optional. The other nine are referred to as apostles or martyrs. And this wording avoids inciting the anger of the Protestants who reject honoring the saints in Our Lady. In fact, in the traditional Mass, Mass of St. Pius V that we offer and attend here, the word saint or saints, according to one author, appears about 14 times or so. In the new Mass, it's used only three times. In place of some Catholic prayers in the new Mass, Bunini and his advisors substituted non-denominational ones to be all-inclusive. And thus, in the end, says one author, the Novus Ordo Mass more closely matches the Protestant rites than it does the Tridentine Mass. In fact, many Novus Ordo rites, they closely resemble the rites used in the Anglican Church. The rites found in Thomas Cranmer's Book of Common Prayer. Rites that the Catholic Church has declared invalid for centuries. My father is a convert from Lutheranism. His father, my grandfather, was a staunch Lutheran. And when I say staunch, I mean inflexible. He was very devoted to his Lutheran faith. But even he noticed how Protestantized the Catholic Mass was. He noticed how Protestantized it was. Before my parents were married, when he met my mother, who was a traditional Catholic, when he met my mother and found out that she was a Catholic, my grandfather said to her, isn't it nice that Catholics and Lutherans are so close now? My mom was a little confused, you know. He said, our services are so similar. The only difference between us, he said, is that you still have kneelers in your churches. We don't. Other than that, what he saw of the new Mass, what he heard of the new Mass, fit right along with the Protestants. Paul VI and Bunini's reform of the Mass was successful. It was acceptable to Protestants. And not just acceptable, it was praised by them. The modernists succeeded. But it is important to note that not everyone at the time was pleased with the new Mass. On April 3, 1969, Paul VI promulgated the new Mass in his apostolic constitution called Missale Romana. But before the Novus Ordo Missal was published in March of 1970, a group of cardinals and bishops banded together in a last-ditch effort 
to block the reforms. They did this giving as a reason grave concerns that the Novus Ordo Missae promoted grave theological error. This movement came to be known as the Ataviani Intervention because a letter affixed to the document bears the name of Cardinal Ataviani. Cardinal Alfredo Ottaviani was born in 1890. He died on August 3rd, 1979. He was the Dean of the College of Cardinals and the Pro-Prefect of the Holy Office. The Holy Office, as some of you may know, is the first among the 15 Roman congregations. And the 15 Roman congregations, or departments if you will, they help the Pope govern the Church. The Holy Office is first because the head of the Holy Office is the Roman Pontiff himself. The Holy Office is thus the chief of the departments or Roman congregations. And as pro-prefect of the Holy Office, Cardinal Ottaviani was directly under the Pope. In fact, I believe it was, <clears throat> I believe it was Cardinal Ottaviani who actually crowned Pope Pius XII Pope. And I think he also may have crowned Pope Paul VI. It is the chief responsibility of the Congregation of the Holy Office to defend Catholic teaching in matters of faith or morals. That's the chief responsibility. And by the way, I will add that after the Second Vatican Council closed in 1965, Paul VI ordered, as one author put it, quote, a sweeping liberalization of the Holy Office. The office that's supposed to safeguard faith and morals. A sweeping liberalization. Now I believe that Cardinal Ottaviani truly tried to defend the Catholic faith and morals against the ravening wolves of the modernists. Even Time Magazine acknowledges this in an article that was written shortly after his death in 1979. The article states, and I'll read this to you here, even after the windows of the Vatican were finally opened to change, he, that is Cardinal Ottaviani, never ceased to resist innovation. When he died last week of bronchial pneumonia at age 88, the article continues, most of the reforms he had fought so hard against, among them ecumenism, religious tolerance, the new mass, and the softening of censorship. On his death, these things were secure. In other words, despite the efforts of Cardinal Ottaviani, the poison of Vatican II had done its work. Thus, there was spread everywhere a false ecumenism. One religion is just as good as another. A new and non-Catholic form of worship called the Novus Ordo Mise, or the New Mass. A subversion of the truth and a disregard for Catholic faith and morals, which ultimately destroyed the faith and morals in countless millions, and which has caused as well the abandonment of Catholic morality. <clears throat> Even Paul VI, okay, even he was moved to say that the smoke of Satan has entered the church. 
He saw what was going on. And just as Martin Luther had once declared that his reformation destroyed the morals of the people, Paul VI acknowledged the same thing. In Private Life, the Time Magazine article concludes, Cardinal Ottaviani was a witty, charming, and humane man. During World War II, he personally sheltered a number of Jews. But he will be remembered, the article says, for his official acts to ward off the influence of the modern world, which he felt threatened the church. The church, which he described at his time as being a prey to an ardent rage for novelties. Because of his love for the faith, because of his love for the mass, Cardinal Ottaviani, together with Cardinal Antonio Bacci, a senior member of the College of Cardinals, they sent a letter to Paul VI, which was also signed by 40 Roman theologians. And with this letter, they sent a document titled A Critical Study of the Novus Ordo Missae by a Group of Roman Theologians. This document, as I said, is better known to us as the Ottaviani Intervention. And it was sent to Paul VI on September 25, 1969. And in the letter, Cardinal Ottaviani wrote to Paul VI, quote, Do not deprive us of the possibility of continuing to have recourse to the Missale Romanum of St. Pius V, which is so deeply loved and venerated by the whole Catholic world. He was pleading with him, don't do this. The Atavi intervention is divided into eight parts. But due to time constraints tonight, I'm not going to go into everything. I'm going to address a few of the essential points with you. But the full document is printed in the February-March 1991 issue of the Roman Catholic Magazine. I've actually made some copies for you. If you're interested, I can hand them out after the conference. Um, This is the entire Ottaviani intervention. Now, it is important to bear in mind that the study, the critical study, deals with the Latin text of the New Mass. In other words, it deals with the most conservative form of the new mass. The Atavi intervention doesn't deal with the enhanced aberrations contained in the English translations of the new mass. Nor does it deal with the many bizarre ways the mass is offered, such as clown masses for kids. Isn't it absolutely horrific? The Oreo cookie mass for kids, the balloon mass, you may have heard of this one, the Wizard of Oz mass, they actually line the center aisle with golden bricks, it's like the yellow brick road. Nor does the Atavi intervention deal with the so-called quote-unquote dignity mass for those inclined to unnatural vice. It deals only with the most conservative form of the new mass, And it condemns it for what it is, a Protestant supper service. 
The second part of the critical study deals with the essence or definition of the new mass. Now here you're going to see some of the same things that we already spoke about earlier this evening concerning transubstantiation and sacrifice. But the critical study of the Novus Ordo Mass sums it up quite well. The study declares that the new Mass constitutes a radical departure from the essence of the Mass as understood by the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent infallibly declared that the Mass is a true and proper sacrifice. It is the same sacrifice as that of the cross. The Council of Trent infallibly declared that in the sacrifice of the Mass, Christ's sacrifice on the cross is made present, its memory celebrated, and its saving power applied. For as we know, the Mass is not a mere ritual, community, celebration of the Last Supper. It is essentially the unbloody renewal of the bloody sacrifice of the cross. In the Mass, the sacrifice of Calvary is offered in an unbloody manner by a mystical separation of the body and blood of Christ accomplished by the double consecration. The Mass is a true sacrifice. And the sacrificial character of the Mass is clearly seen in the double consecration, as I said. In fact, some of the saints say, among them St. Alphonsus Liguori, They say that at Mass, the priest severs with an unbloody cut the body and blood of Christ using his tongue as a sword when he says the words of consecration. But this is not so with the new Mass. The very essence of the new Mass, therefore, is not that of a true sacrifice. It is instead a gathering of the faithful to celebrate the Supper of the Lord. And this was done, as we've already said, to accommodate the Protestants. In Chapter 2 of the General Instruction of the Novus Ordo Mise, the New Mass is not defined as the renewal of the sacrifice of Calvary. It's called the Lord's Supper. I'll read you again Paul VI's definition of the new Mass. The Lord's Supper, he says, is the assembly or gathering together of the people of God with the priest presiding to celebrate the memorial of the Lord. It's almost as though they had to take the word Mass out of the definition for the sake of the Protestants and call it the Lord's Supper. Commenting on this definition, Cardinal Ottaviani and the Roman theologians wrote, The definition of the Mass is limited to that of a supper, and this term is found constantly repeated. This supper is further characterized as an assembly presided over by the priest and held as a memorial of the Lord. And continuing the study says, None of this, in the very least, implies the real presence. None of it. Nor does it imply the reality of the sacrifice or the sacramental function of the consecrating priest. 
It does not, in a word, Cardinal Ottaviani concludes, it does not, in a word, imply any of the essential dogmatic values of the Mass. In other words, the new Mass in its very definition, its prayers, and its ceremonies does not imply in any way that it is a renewal of the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary on the altar. Furthermore, the function of the priest is not to offer a sacrifice, but to preside. To preside over a supper as a president of the assembly, which really isn't that much different from a Protestant minister when all is said and done. A Protestant minister who officiates at a commemoratory supper service, commemorating the Last Supper. Now, concerning the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist, the study tells us that it is never alluded to, and that belief in it, and this is the study talking here, and that belief in the Holy Eucharist is implicitly repudiated. Another word for repudiated is rejected. The real presence of Christ. The real presence, the study says, has been removed from the central position which it occupied. The real and permanent presence of Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity in the transubstantiated species is never alluded to. Note, too, the study says, the eliminations of the genuflections no more than three remain to the priest. Of the purification of the priest's fingers in the chalice, of the preservation from all profane contact of the priest's fingers after the consecration. Right? You've seen when we offer Mass after the consecration, the priest keeps his fingers together until they're purified in the chalice. That was abolished. And then the study concludes by saying that of the internal gilding of the sacred vessels and of the sacred stone and relics, it's all gone. For a chalice, when you use a chalice at Mass, the inside of the cup has to be gilt with gold. It's according to the church. They did away with it. And now I'm sure some of you have seen the monstrosities of chalices they've used Some of them are pretty hideous looking. All these things, Cardinal Ottaviani and the theologians conclude, only serve to emphasize how outrageously faith in the dogma of the real presence is implicitly repudiated. Furthermore, the very words of consecration, which the church has used from the beginning, were altered. In the Latin text, the words or the form for the consecration of the wine are changed. The words mysterium fidei, that is, the mystery of faith, were removed from the form. In the new mass, after the words of consecration, the priest sings, and I guess it depends on which form of the new mass you're attending, and he, he sings, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. 
from the canters and all the people respond. They imagine them all getting up there singing at the top of their lungs. Perhaps you've experienced it. They sing out, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. There's really nothing mysterious about it, right? Is that a mystery? We know that Christ has died, we know that he's risen, and we know he's coming again. There's nothing mysterious about it. The mystery of faith referred to in the Mass for almost 2,000 years now is transubstantiation. The mystery of faith is that by means of the consecration, as we've already mentioned, the whole substance of the bread is changed into the body of Christ, and the whole substance of the wine is changed into his blood. The accidents alone remain, and those, of course, are the things that are perceived by the senses, the taste, the sight, the feel. But it is our Lord there. That's the mystery of faith. But since this divinely revealed truth of the real presence so offended the modernists and was gravely offensive to Protestants, to non-Catholics, and to the world in general, it had to be changed. And thus in the new Mass, as we've already said, the true sacrifice and the real presence by means of transubstantiation have been purged. The Roman theologians had this to say of the change in their study. Quote, okay, this is not a direct quote, okay? But they alluded to that the effect of this change could do nothing less than alter the very meaning of the words of consecration. Okay. It is the teaching of the church that any change, any change at all, in the form of a sacrament that alters its essential meaning renders the sacrament invalid. Any change that alters its essential meaning renders the sacrament invalid. In his general instruction on the new order of Mass, Paul VI said, there is room in the new Missal for legitimate variations and adaptations. Those who translated the Latin versions of the words of consecration, they took to heart this permission and they changed the form of the sacrament. They changed the words of Christ himself. They then went and changed the words of consecration of the bread. They changed it from for you and for many to for you and for all. The Roman Catechism of the Council of Trent expressly teaches that our divine Savior deliberately used the words for you and for many and not for you and for all for an important reason. For while it is true that he did shed his precious blood for the salvation of all men, nonetheless, all men will not be saved. The Catechism of the Council of Trent thus points out that the value of his death on the cross was sufficient to save all men. But the fruit of his death, that is to say, those who would be put into the state of grace and those who would be saved, would be limited to the elect. 
And so the value of his death was sufficient for all, yes, but all will not be saved. Only the elect who are in the state of grace may thus receive Holy Communion. These constitute the many. Therefore, to change the words of Christ is a sacrilege, a blasphemy, and an implicit heresy, which would suggest that all men will actually be saved. Would that it were so, but it's not. I have heard that in recent times, in some Novus Ordo missiles, they actually changed the words back to for you and for many. In how many, I do not know. But the point is that they had the audacity in the first place to change the words of Christ. The study of the Roman theologians also has something to say concerning the change from the Latin language to the vernacular. With the abandonment of Latin, the unity of worship is swept away, and they ask, And what will now become of the unity of faith? Towards the end of the study, the Roman theologians declare that the new Mass is exactly what the modernists have desired and hoped for. By way of compensation, they write, the new liturgy will be the delight of various groups who hovering on the verge of apostasy, are wreaking havoc in the church of God, poisoning her organism and undermining her unity of doctrine, worship, morals, and discipline. And how true those words are. You have to remember, we look back at this. Hindsight's twenty twenty. It's very clear to us. But Cardinal Ottaviani and Cardinal Bacci and the 40 Roman theologians, they saw it in the moment. They knew what was going to happen. And now looking back, we could almost say they were prophets. The critical study concludes with a solemn warning. And I quote here. To abandon a liturgical tradition which for four centuries was both the sign and the pledge of unity of worship, and to replace it with another which cannot but be a sign of division by virtue of the countless liberties implicitly authorized, and which teems with insinuations or manifest errors against the integrity of the Catholic religion is, we feel in conscience, bound to proclaim an incalculable error. Paul VI did receive the critical study. It was sent to him, as I said, by Cardinal Taviani and the Roman theologians. And he received it bitterness, and coldness. Under his direction, the Holy See issued a response on November 12, 1969. And in that response, the Holy See declared 
that the critical study contained claims that are superficial, exaggerated, inexact, emotional, and false. Again, hindsight is twenty twenty. We look back now and we see that all the claims made by Cardinal Taviani and the Roman theologians, they were true. They were true. But despite this, Paul VI moved forward and he published the Novus Ordo Missal on March 26, 1970. <clears throat> okay, we're going to stop there. Uh, next month, we're going to conclude this section on the wake of Vatican II by going through some of the fruits of the modernist reform. And then we're going to take a look at some of the changes made to the rite of Episcopal consecration and ordination to the Holy Priesthood, which do bear very importantly on any priests ordained by these new church bishops, sacraments that they confer. Uh, we'll end with a prayer, but if you do have any questions, uh, please feel free to come and see me here at the podium. And then also, if you're interested in a copy of the Atavi Intervention, I'll have those up here for you. So please stand for prayer. <clears throat> we'll pray the Apostles' Creed in thanksgiving for our faith and for the grace to persevere in that faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, immaculate heart of Mary, St. Pius X, St. Pius V. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.